Danny Danko come to show you how it goes. You're now tuned in to Free Weed from Danny Danko on High Times Radio, presented by High Times Magazine. Boom, bang! Alright, welcome to episode number 99 of High Times Presents Free Weed from Danny Danko. It's the Wayne Gretzky episode, Mike. <laughs> the great one or <laughs> number 99? The great one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, they're all great. They are. <laughs> <laughs> but this is 99. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, we're yeah. Just, we're one away from retirement, right? That's it. <laughs> 100 and done? Mm-hmm. Is that what we're doing? No. Come on. We're going to keep bringing the free weed always, to the people. Always. Come on. Free weed for all. And, uh, yeah, thank you to Jacques and Winstrong for the wonderful song. As usual, uh, check them out on SoundCloud and all the places where you uh, play tunes, <laughs> Spotify <laughs> and all that. Um, yeah, we're excited about this episode. This one was taped uh, on 420, around 420, at the SoCal Cannabis Cup. This one is with a special guest, too, uh, who was our first guest. On the show in episode one, I believe. Oh my gosh, that's right. Mr. Yeah. Kyle Cushman. Yeah, so this was like the long lost episode because we recorded it at the SoCal Cup. Yep. We kind of lost where the, the recording was, but mm-hmm. now we have it and we we're excited it. to bring it to you. Yeah, and it's long. It's like a full hour, so I don't want to uh, uh, chit-chat for too long here, but we should mention Reggae on the River this weekend, uh, Alaska Cannabis Cup next weekend. Um, people should check out CannabisCup.com for information and tickets, but... Um, the bookings are amazing. They got Thievery Corporation, Red Man and Method Man, Arrested Development, a lot of amazing acts for Alaska. So uh, excited about that one and Reggae on the River as well. Our friend DJ Jacques is performing. So if you are uh, making it to Reggae on the River, River for sure, check out uh, DJ Jacques from WBLK Sound System. Uh, big up yourself and uh, uh, boom bap. Big respect to DJ Jacques and Winstrong, and come check them out at Reggae on the River, as well as a lot of great artists that are performing there, and High Times partnered up with them for that, so that's exciting. And uh, yeah, aside from that, I have an appearance August uh, 14th here in New York City uh, at Galvanize. That's the Canna Gather event. You can find information about that on my social media. And that's pretty much it, I think. Uh, Mike, you got any uh, any thoughts on recent events? <laughs> um, you know what? Let's save the thoughts on recent events for next week. Um, we're going to return to sort of a normal uh, show where we have a cultivation segment and we answer some questions. But now let's just dive right into Kyle. Let's do it. Kyle Cushman that in Southern weird. California. Let's dive listen right. to the to the show that we recorded. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, so without any further ado, uh, this is Kyle Cushman at the Cannabis Cup uh, with a live taping of Free Weed from 420. All right, you guys, obviously, if you're listening to the show, you want to grow. And if you really want to grow, you should get your, your hands on a BC Northern Lights grow box. You can check them out at bcnorthernlights.com. They are a beloved sponsor of the show. They make incredible grow boxes that are solid, built to last, uh, harvest a lot of weed out of, and you can contact them seven days a week at 888-236-1266. Check them out at bcnorthernlights.com. Be sure to tell them that the Free Weed Podcast sent you and Danny Danko sent you from here. And uh, there's special deals that they're offering for our listeners only. So check them out, bcnorthernlights.com. And thank you to them for sponsoring the show.
Hi, everybody. Um, for those of you who might remember, uh, a few years back we had a little uh, podcast called Free Weed uh, from Danny Danko. And uh, we took a little break, uh, but we're back now. We're actually going to be uh, doing this show, and we're happy to be doing a live Free Weed right now. So thank you for joining us for that. We have an excellent guest for this segment. Uh, my name is Mike Janakis. I'm the editor-in-chief of High Times Magazine, and I'm also the co-host for Free Weed. But now I want to introduce you to the senior cultivation editor of High Times Magazine. Let's hear it for Danny Danko. <laughs> All right. Welcome, you guys. Welcome. Yeah, like Mike said, we're really excited to be bringing the show back. Uh, we took a little hiatus, and uh, now we're back. We're going to be weekly, uh, dropping on Thursdays, and... Um, we're really excited, and one of the people who has been a longest-time friend of the show is here back on our show, which is very exciting. It really is. Would you, would you like to introduce him, or is it a cliffhanger? I would. I would. I would. So uh, it's, it's hard to even for me to do the introduction because we go back so long, and, and we, uh, we, we're friends, and, and he's a mentor, and uh, uh, someone I've learned a ton from, not just about growing, which I learned a ton from him, but also just about life and <laughs> how to live it and be happy and all that and a lot of other things. So uh, without further ado, I'd like to introduce you guys to Mr. Kyle Cushman. Oh, wow. Yeah, you know, um, longtime friends are important in life and sometimes, uh, you know, they live down the street. And sometimes they live across the world, and th those are the true friendships when you you know you, you don't see each other regularly or even talk regularly, um, but you just initiated each other as brothers, <laughs> and that's just how it is. And so, you know, maybe it was the fraternity of high times, um, you know. Yeah, you know, and um, why don't you take me back even before high times and talk about your earliest experiences with cannabis. I'd love to do, I just want to invite everybody. There's some really cool p cushions and pillows up here. If you want to come up, you can, if you don't want to sit in those chairs. But anyways, um, what was that question again? <laughs> <laughs> take, us, um, take us back to a young Kyle Cushman, uh, AKA also known as Adam Orenstein, our old pal Adam. So uh, I don't know if you've ever reveal that uh, <laughs> <laughs> that whole thing in public but actually it has actually uh it, 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 it it's that's all good so um when you say that i think the first thing i think of is um before i was before kyle cushman was ever a thought in my head um i uh i met somebody who uh brought me up to high times and uh, i was a grower and I ended up just being appreciated for the weed that I grew. It was really organic, and um, I was really lucky. I came across some really special genetics that were really purple, and it, but it wasn't boutique purple. It was really Kush. It was real purple Kush. Now, what year are we talking about? Uh, 88, 89, 90, 91. Um, this is actually my 30th year growing. I, I put my first. I grew my first marijuana plants illegally in 1987. Wow. And um, just, I mean, we need to maybe remind people because we have some younger people listening and uh, in the crowd what the state of cannabis was like in the you know, late 80s and early 90s as far as what was available to the average consumer. 
Um, most people were still smoking brickweed from Mexico with, loaded with seeds or uh, Panama red or Colombian gold. And uh, indoor weed was really for those people in the know, you know, because there wasn't that much produced. And it, the, the, the fear of 10 years incarceration was very real. So you didn't, you know, it wasn't, you didn't just pass your name along. Um, and uh, it, was, uh, it was a long time ago. It seems like a real long time ago now. <laughs> well, a lot has obviously happened since then. Um, you know, even politically at that time, there was no medical marijuana laws, even, even here in California. And you could do time for growing where you were growing. And it was, and that's, uh, and so I would move every six to nine months for a period of about eight years. I moved every six to nine months, and uh, I would, uh, uh, I would rent houses under false names and start electric accounts under false names. Back in the days before everything was computerized, and and uh, it was, uh, it was quite a life. But you know, I don't know it. I got to mention that it really was uh, the opposite of a gateway drug for me because when I started growing pot, I started growing pot with my Coke dealer. I had a really good friend, some people right, rem might remember. Um, his name was John Cliver or Waldo. And for a couple of years, I took him to Amsterdam every year with me. And uh, he had spina bifida and he was in a wheelchair. And he uh, grew up feeling like a burden. And when he met the cannabis community for the first time, he couldn't believe he got off the airplane at Amsterdam. He found somebody to push him from the airport to the hotel, you know? And he, he got adopted by the community. And there's a, a strain in Jason King's first cannabis Bible called Waldo. And it was named after him for the few years that he spent in the community. He was so, uh, so loved. Uh, and he was my first, my first grow partner. And I lived in his dining room and grew in his extra bedroom in his house. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So then um, you start working at High Times. Yeah, we, we should remind everybody that, that before becoming a legendary grower, you were a uh, editor at High Times Magazine, right? Yeah, I... I <laughs> Danny's I, mentor. <laughs> so I, I moved up from a staff pot dealer to uh, <laughs> a staff journalist position opened up, and uh, luckily I had a pretty good uh, vocabulary. My dad was an English teacher, and I, I took on a writing position. And uh, I really enjoyed that for about five years and lived and worked in Brooklyn and in Manhattan. And one of the things you really stressed uh, as a reader at that time was organic growing, even mm -hmm. at a time when most people weren't even thinking about that. I mean, people just used GH3 part in, in rock wool, and that was how people grew, at least you know around where we were. Um, but you actually pushed you know, organic uh, at that time, which I found very interesting and, and really changed a lot of my thought process on growing and, 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 you know, trying to grow cleaner pot. It's because what I just said about uh, my first crop being with my Coke dealer, marijuana has always been medicine to me. You understand? Right. Ma 
we literally, when we grew our first crop of marijuana, we quit cocaine together. And we left all of our cocaine friends behind and we made a bunch of new friends so we could sell marijuana. And the marijuana community is much nicer. Very few people carried guns back then and had marijuana. <laughs> and um, so it, it was transformational for me and I called it my medicine um, a long, before, long time before people called it medicine. So that's why the organics was important to me. Um, from the beginning. It didn't seem, I, I could tell the difference anytime I smoked something that was chemically produced versus something that was organically produced. And, um, you know, people say to me, well, you know, are, are you a vegan, you know, because you grow veganically? And I'm like, no, but every, every bite of food I put in my mouth isn't meat, you know, and cannabis is the only medicine I choose to use. And because I consider it a medicine, that I use, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Frequently. Regularly. Frequently. There <laughs> you go. Uh, it, 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 it's still a medicine to me. And, it's an, and, and, and cannabis is about wellness. And uh, so it's important that it's, you can still call it medicine. And medicine is produced under very strict conditions. Well, yeah, let's talk about that a little because... You know, a lot of people fear this sort of corporatization of, you know, cannabis and, and cannabis growing. I'm visiting bigger and bigger facilities uh, to the point that I recently saw an 800,000 square foot facility in Canada um, to produce cannabis, which is just a massive in size. We had to fly in a helicopter over it to, to get a, a view of the whole greenhouse. That's the, um, the Aurora Grow, right? That's right. Yeah, Aurora in Canada, and it's it's massive. And when you're growing on that type of scale, it's probably pretty difficult to do that organically. So, with this fear that people have, um, what I'm getting at is the, the the new laws. You know, as much as they have this regulation and they allow for this corporatization, they also allow for you to grow a certain amount of plants in almost every you know state where things are going full. You rec. mean personally? Right. Like 12 plants. So you can grow six plants here, 12 plants there, but you can grow bigger plants too. So the person I'm trying to reach is the person who just wants to grow their own, you know, in a tent or in a spare bedroom. And because there's lots of people who are, we're going to talk uh, tomorrow about scaling up, right? Like growing bigger and bigger. But I want to kind of scale down and have you talk a little bit about, um, you know, uh, you mentioned veganics and, and, and all that. What, what does that mean? What is veganics and, and how does well, that work? Well, you, you're talking about is um, providing your own, being self-sufficient and nourishing your own soul by providing yourself with your own medicine or your own recreation or your own nourishment, whatever you want to call it. And this is a, this is a big issue as legalization rolls out across the country. Um, in Arizona, for example, for the last three or four years, you were allowed to grow your own medicine up to a certain limit. And now, if you live within 20 miles of a state-run, state-licensed dispensary, you're no longer allowed to cultivate your own. And, and this is like antithetical to the public health and welfare. Um, 
for just so many reasons. I'm not even going to go on. You know, yeah, you no, see I where mean, I'm going with it. You know, right? And so I'm with you. I will always be with you. And 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 my uh, career, if you call it, has been built on always educating and being here for the the uh, the, the individual grower. Mm-hmm. And the person who wants to do it for their own reasons, whether it's the passion for the plant, they have an ill member in the family, uh, they don't want to participate in the black market, uh, you know, what, there's so many reasons to want to nourish your own soul. From right. And I think even in a retail marketplace, there has to be room for the mom and pop, you know, there grow up and the co-op and the people who are just getting together to produce a great product and put it on the market, just like there is with you know, microbrews and, and I'm afraid there's going to be a lot of evolution though. I think I see a lot of chaos going on right now and I'm glad that, you know, I'm going to say it. I'm glad that prop 64 is here. Less people are going to go to jail. Um, more marijuana is going to be smoked. You know, it, it's getting towards, it's not a fantastic, who knew that these guys were going to find loopholes in the most compassionate, uh, cannabis legalization bill that had ever been written, that these humongous corporations were going to find loopholes to group residents together or growers together and form these massive co-ops and squashing out. We couldn't foresee these things. So we got a lot of evolution to go on yet in the commercial industry. Absolutely. Let's let's get back to the Cushman biography real quick. Um, So you're in New York, you're writing for High Times, you're living in Brooklyn. What sort of motivated uh, you to kind of go out west and do your own thing and start growing? It was easy. I, I did uh, a series of stories on Eddie Lepp, whom you guys inducted into the Hall of Fame recently. And uh, it was my second or my third story. I was driving to see his house, and I was driving on Route 20, and I passed Lake Mendocino. And the sun was glistening across Lake Mendocino. And I thought to myself, what the hell am I doing? Marijuana is legal here. You can actually come here and do what you do. Because, you know, I had to give up growing when I worked for High Times. I didn't have to, but I did. I couldn't deal with the whole so much exposure. So I gave up growing for five years. And so that was it. It was done. And I moved to California with the main intention of not being a criminal for the first time in my adult life. And so I started a company called Karma Consulting, and I taught as many people as I could how to grow their own personal, and I started preaching uh, uh, compliance. And at that time in Mendocino, you were allowed to grow 25 plants a person. And so, for example, you know, if you had a girlfriend and a roommate, you could have 75 plants in the house. And at one time I did have 75 plants in my house, and the Mendocino sheriff came to my house and looked at the notes on the wall and left. And uh, I really felt very lucky that I had found this place. This was like heaven. You know, I could afford my rent. I bought a house. I was growing marijuana. I had a consulting company. I was helping people. And... Uh, the rest is history. Right. The rest is history. Now, you have a close connection, of course, uh, with the strawberry cough, which some people call the Kyle Cushman strawberry cough. Although you didn't breed the strain, you sort of discovered it and brought it out to uh, fruition and, and shared it, which is important, I think, because there's a lot of hoarding that was going on at that time as well. 
Um, let's do it like a little deep dive into the history of the strawberry cough because there's more history to be told, I think, these days. Uh, the strawberry cough was um, gifted to me by a young gentleman who made a cross of the only two plants that he had, I, I think. Um, it wasn't like he was a breeder or anything. And uh, it was really f a kind of a fate thing. Uh, the, in the, the new history that nobody, that I've really only, like, I mean, I, I think I've said, mentioned once somewhere, is that the gentleman who made the cough, Jeff, I'm not going to say his last name. Jeff Straubs, I call He's in my phone as Jeff Straubs, S-T-R-A-W-B-Z, contacted me for the first time in 15 years. And he's like, hey, Kyle, what's up? And I'm like, hey. He's like, you probably don't remember me. I'm like, no, I don't. He's like, uh, it's Jeff. You remember Jeff, the guy who gave you the cough. And I'm a New Yorker, and when I hear somebody like that, all of a sudden the hair stands up on the back of my neck, and I'm thinking, what does he want? I mean, I really, I was like, uh-oh. And, 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 and long, long story short, I was talking to the guy. I'm like, how come you didn't call me for so long? He's like, I never wanted to bother you. Stewie, Stewie always told me I should call you and say hey and see how you're doing. And, and, and he's like, you know, when I gave you that plan, I just knew that if I gave it to you that something good would come of it, something good would happen. And it really melted my heart. Wow. And, uh, and it did. It, 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 because it, it's become a really popular strain. Many people find re uh, pain relief in it, um, anxiety relief in it, motivation in it. And I got to be the one to travel around and spread it around the world. And that's fantastic. Yeah, it's one of my faves, if not my favorite. Uh, and when people grow it right, it's fantastic and quite unique which, uh, you know, it's, it's a sativa that's not a haze, you know, it, it's got a, a depth to it that's a little on the, uh, on the different side, and it's inspirational, it's really good for daytime, and I don't know, I love it, so thank I you call for her that. The, I call her the queen of the jungle, and I say, like, if you like to run, she's gonna, it's gonna make you want to run, if you like to climb a mountain, or hike, or ride a bike, or write, whatever it is that you like to do when you smoke strawberry cough, it's like the filter just... Just you're right in there. It's enhanced. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, getting back to veganics, uh, basically, if we're talking about organics and we're talking about veganics, the difference being no slaughterhouse products, right? Like, so no bone meal, no blood meal. These are things that are considered organic but come from a slaughterhouse or come from an animal-derived source. So you'd say even bat guano, um, which is bat poop, right? Right. Fits into that as an animal product? There's a good question about that because uh, most bat guano is fossilized and once it's fossilized, it's no longer has any comp chemical composition of guano. It's now mineralized. And um, nonetheless, uh, it began as guano and blood and, uh, and animal, uh, animal in insides store heavy metals. They store up heavy metals. And when, when, when we weren't so dirty and we weren't pumping these animals full of hormones and pesticides weren't in all the grain and, 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 and uh, antibiotics being fed, uh, 
there were a lot less heavy metals. I think the cycle of constantly grinding things up and feeding them back into the same cycle, you know, it, 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 things aren't as clean as they used to be. And uh, the veganics is not only about no animal products, no slaughterhouse, but blood and bone, but also no piss or no poop. You know, none of the, you know, Urea. All, all the dirty stuff that, you know, when you, a lot of farmers like to make brews, bubble up brews. And once you reactivate it, you know, uh, it's no longer, no, it's not non-toxic is all I'm saying. And beyond that, of course, we, we, I, farmers have managed to not get sick for many, many years, for, you know, thousands of years. And that's, but it's, it's about the heavy metals. Okay. And veganics, veganic produce tests a thousand times lower in the parts per billion range rather than the parts per million range. And that's where it becomes true medicine. Because when you're talking about medicine for people who have Crohn's disease or autism or uh, autoimmune or uh, whatever it is, people who are uh, susceptible to small amounts of residues or toxins, um, you know, those heavy metal counts from the parts per million to parts per billion is the difference between getting a headache or uh, being a, respir a respiratory arrest or, or not. Okay, so, so without the use of animal products and without the use of, uh, you know, chemicals, uh, I'm I'm imagining there's probably a lot of seaweed involved and things of that nature. Yeah, the the proprietary Plant part derived. The proprietary part comes in. We try to source as much uh, non-GMO soy and grain solubles. So it's all the leftover. It's really cool because we're not growing crops to make fertilizer out of it or. Uh, we're using the leftovers, and it's uh, fermented and extracted and then balanced with minerals and, uh, and kelp and rock phosphate and amino acids and vitamins and uh, uh, humic and fulvics and uh, all the things that the plants need to round it out to a balanced NPK that's uh, completely plant-derived. You also you mentioned to me earlier about a super soil that's a veganic super soil. Um, that's inoculated with beneficial bacteria and microbes. Can you can you talk a little bit about that? This is brand new, and um, I'm, I'm still developing it uh, uh, in cooperation with a, uh, a soil scientist that I've brought on for Pure Life. And uh, basically, um, you know, uh, Ode to Subcool and his Super Soil Mix, which is a, a form of no-till soil, which you don't have to feed, nothing but water. Um, I decided why not do it a veganic way, you know, take, take all the blood meal and the bone meal out of it and replace it with other meals. And, uh, I found a way to activate the mycelia and the beneficial fungi without all of the, the meat and all of the, the dirty stuff. And, uh, yeah, so that's, uh, a veganic super soil will be, uh, uh, something that I'll be writing about and, and bring it out as soon as I perfect it. And that's going to be available for. Uh, for yeah, people. we're not going to sell the soil. We're going to we're going to give away the recipe, and I'm going to. Uh, I'm, I'm, we're perfecting the inoculation, the 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 variety of microbes that uh, you're going to inoculate the soil with to get the same effect you get without the um, the, de the decomposition you need from the the the, the feces and um, the blood meal and the bone meal. So, yeah, one of the things I'm always preaching is about, you know, light feeding 
rather than overfeeding. I think that, you know, obviously overfeeding is an epidemic in cannabis growing. Most people tend to overfeed, and I'm talking about the big warehouse grows and the person with their grow box or grow tent. And even, you know, you'll see even in High Times Magazine, burnt tips on the leaves of some of the, you know, uh, centerfolds and stuff, and those burnt tips are indicative of overfeeding. The plant's not dead, uh, but it is overfed, and especially if it's overfed with uh, contaminants and heavy metals, like you're talking about, then it's the burnability of that flower is just not going to be there. And it, and one of the things we judge when we judge cannabis cups is burnability, uh, the cleanliness of that. You know, whether it was overfed or whether it wasn't flushed and or cured properly and I think you know 95% of the product that you see in the world isn't flushed or cured properly and is overfed uh, does veganics make it easier not to overfeed is it like a lower parts per million that you're doing I think that overfeeding is a symptom uh, uh, of gardeners you know, they're going to, they don't just stick to the line, you know, they feel like they have to add a bloom booster and then the bloom booster has doubled up ingredients that's already in the, the main line. And, um, you know, you can overfeed just by overfeeding the line as well. But I think that they, they err on the side of overfeeding because you're still going to get that production and they would rather not see, they don't have the time. It's all about observation. Perfect feeding takes observation because each strain is a little bit different and each strain falls into its heavy feeding cycle at a little bit of a different time than other ones do and it's just easier for most people especially on a large scale to just pump it up and uh, and then try to flush it out at the end but you really can't flush out heavy metals and um, you can flush out excess nitrogen and excess phosphorus and excess potassium. And you can get the plant to catalyze it at the end by, by rinsing with plain water and using enzymes. But the thing about uh, veganic nutrition that's really um, completely different is it's kind of like I have this analogy that, uh, th uh, you know, Thanksgiving dinner and sushi dinner are both nutritious for you, right? But Everybody knows after you have Thanksgiving dinner, you have to sit down and your body has to make all these digestive enzymes and has to get going before you can get up going again. That's the heavy diet. And then the light diet, the veganic diet, is the sushi. You know, you can gorge yourself on sushi and 10 minutes later, 15 minutes later, you, get, you actually feel the nutrition from the sushi because it's, it's very quickly metabolized. And that's the thing is that veganic nutrition is nearly 100% bioavailable. And so the plants get everything they need, and um, and what's left behind, what happens to be left behind, is is virtually non-burning. So the plants take what they want, and um, and you get plants that finish f full fruition. That's why you get that nice fade, <coughs> you know, and the nice color at the end, and the nice flavor. And you know at that point that your your the minerals are are being drawn out. Exactly. Now, I was just uh, going to say it's interesting as a non-grower that so much of, of growing seems to come down to patience, you know, like whether it's the flush or waiting for the harvest, uh, it takes a certain kind of personality, it seems, to really make the high quality, you know, top shelf stuff. 
It really does, and it's and um, you know I'm learning new things year by year. Um, j- just coming off of my first foray in a commercial, well, my second foray in a commercial setting, um, and now I'm branching out into greenhouse. Yeah, you're about to be growing how many plants in a greenhouse? Um, I think I'm going to be cycling out about six thousand production plants, and and maybe nine or ten thousand for a pheno hunt. Wow, so something like 15,000 plants. And when you do something like that, are you doing that from from seeds, from clones, or from, uh, you know... Uh, tissue culture? Tissue culture <laughs> uh, samples. We're doing both clones. You know, we're starting off some of my legacy strains from clones. Uh, Strawberry Cough and the Grape Ape and the Star Dog and the Starberry and... Um, and then um, the, the, the big news for me is this is kind of my, I'm calling it my summer of love because I'm going to get to uh, make sexy plant love under the California moon. <laughs> and I'm going to plant, I'm, I'm cracking out all my seeds and uh, I've got strawberry crosses and I've got land races and I'm going to make a mother room and a father room and, uh, and start up, you know. And that's a greenhouse grow, right? Yeah. And you told me that... Uh, you're also going to be doing sort of a no-till program. Like, what's the what are the benefits of a no-till uh, gardening system? Well, if I can pull off this veganic super soil, basically, it's uh, as you know, super soil. You don't uh, feed nutrients; you just water it, and um, everything pretty much remains in balance all the way through. Maybe a little bit of uh, you know help towards the middle, towards the end, um, and that avoids that whole overfeeding thing. Um, and so what I'll be able to do is you'll still use, I'll still use Vega Matrix, but because, you know, it's kind of an, it's a premium nutrient, it's expensive, it has to be fermented and decanted. And other nutrients, they just mix it up in a thing and they pump it out. This has to sit in a mixer for a week mm-hmm. and let the, all the solubles settle and it has to be decanted like a fine wine. And so what I'm going to do is if the veganic supersoil works, I'm going to be able to cut Vega Matrix use by about 75 to 90%. So you'll wait for that site that it needs a little, and you'll feed a little. Or, you know, instead of 15 mils every feeding, it'll just be like around three, three to five mils of feeding. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this is a kind of a... And then are you also talking about adding uh, organic material or compost on top of that uh, or any kind of mycelial activity? Uh, yeah, well, that's uh, the whole thing is um, the the microbes and bacteria that grow out of the guanos and the blood and the bone meals are what help populate the soil and um, and help fix all of the nutrients that get partially gobbled up and, and such like that and make it so that as you go along, everything gets uh, recatalyzed. Um, so with a vegan super soil, you don't have that decomposition. We're only using meals that are like alfalfa and, 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 and cottonseed and things like that. So we've found a particular microbe that we're going to uh, populate the soil with to form the mycelia, which populates the whole soil with the fungi, which transports the nutrients and helps transport the uptake of nutrients so that you get the same effect by feeding less. And that's the whole idea about no till right yeah and and every year your your soil ostensibly should be being improved upon with organic material which i find to be 
really the opposite of a commercial farming system where you're depleting the soil every time and not really re-nourishing it. And then when you grind it all up with a till, you're also grinding up these long mycelial strands that actually want to be long and extended, and you're grinding them up, and they have to start all over again. So you're, you're basically diluting the soil rather than improving the soil. Another interesting point about uh, the supersoil is you mentioned that you, know, you mostly just use water, plain water on it, but it starts off a little hot you know, early on. Uh, in that stage of growth where you're really trying to build a lot of roots and a whole big plant system. And then at, over time, as you just use plain water, it becomes less and less strong just at the right time to be approaching harvest, you know, through the flowering period and approaching harvest. And it's, it's, it's weakening and weakening as you go along which I, I think, you know, that's what you want to do. You don't want to feed heavy duty right up until two weeks before uh, you harvest and then just try to flush for two weeks. If an overfed plant will stay overfed, you know, you, you can't flush, like you said, you can't flush the heavy metals out, but you can't flush an overfed plant the way you flush a properly fed plant. I think it's something like, I'm not a vintner and I don't grow wine, but they say that when the plants are starved a little bit, the fruit becomes sweeter. So you're better off having the plants stay a little bit greener, um, but uh, maybe not grow quite so fast early on. And then, you know, the, the, the harvest kicks in. That's why I'm excited about the veganic super soil, because I know that everything isn't going to be in there. I'm still going to have to be a chef, and I'm going to have to do my recipe and stuff, but I'm going to cut my costs to make it comparable so that I can switch more people from growing in rock wool and using chemicals to using Vega Matrix or organics. Mm -hmm. Now you mentioned, we talked about overfeeding. Let's talk about overwatering. What's your philosophy as far as, you know, the wet and dry period? Do you, you know, uh, when do you choose to water and do you think hand watering is the way to go? You know, I'm about to move into a whole new system. They water seven times a day. And um, I am going to adjust and learn and um, my formula is going to have to be adjusted my re my feeding recipe my, my you know my parts per million or my EC however you want to look at it and um, but this is a new this is a new thing that I'm going into because I'm I'm, I'm I have a successful farmer who has 3,000 healthy flowering plants without a single yellow leaf anywhere and uh, he's inviting me to come into his farm and the only thing we're changing is the nutrients the same people that handle these plants are going to handle my plants. The same deleafing process, the same timing of flowering, the same amount of watering. And I'm just going to see if we can take the quality from chem quality to veganic quality. <coughs> but does the, the scale play a role in how you're kind of approaching it? Like, yeah, there's more plants, but I'm going to approach it the same way? Or is it a different outlook? I'm approaching it as that I, I, this is a new, uh, you know, just like the first time I ever grew uh, 250 lights, you know, and then I did uh, that shipping container grow in L.A. for a year, and that was 10 different microclimates, you know, and, or rather it was 20 different microclimates, and um, this time, I'm in ideal climate, the temperature is beautiful, uh, this is the perfect time of year to plant. And uh, the system and the infrastructure is already there. 
So all I have to do is fine tune the formula to the feeding schedule, and then it's all about the pheno hunt. It's all about just sit back and relax and, and really get into the mindset of a breeder, you know, and not a massive producer who's worried about getting so many grams per square foot. And that's well, what I'm really excited about. One of the keys to breeding is growing out large populations to choose from, and I think that's a pretty large population. I've, I've done pretty good so far with 50 plants and choosing you know, a Cherry Lopez or a, um, a Starberry out of 50 plants. So I can't imagine. You know, now I'm, this, is, this is really uh, the biggest step my career has taken. Now, what are, the thi- what are the things that people can do when they're harvesting to avoid messing up that you know, that part time because they've, they've grown the plants, they've, they've flowered. And now, you know, there's this crucial sort of three week to month long period where you can mess it all up or you can wind up with a great product. So what, what, what are your fo- harvesting philosophies? Well, you know, just like we went from a Clairol Rite Aid hair press thing for rosin in a year to a thermo-electrostatically controlled press, rosin press, you know. Um, you know, we've gone from just simply allowing nature to be our guide and hanging it for the right amount of time, you know, to now people are building walk-in trailers, walk-in rooms that are curing cabinets that burp themselves and keep the humidity at just the right level. And... Um, you know, again, there's, there's, there's a different special sauce. Everybody's got a different special sauce. And I think that it, it depends on your, uh, your, your actual ambient environment because uh, the ambient environment does have some effect even when you have a controlled environment because you're, you're letting in the ambient air. You know, so it's like New York pizza is New York pizza. It just doesn't taste the same. It's the air. <laughs> the air and the water. Well, what about wet trim versus dry trim as far as... You know, that would be the difference between um, trimming the plant when it's just harvested or letting it dry and trimming it. You know, that brings me to something. You know, if I was if I was making the cannabis laws, I would make it mandatory that 20 percent of every crop grown has to remain in flowers. (laughs) That's just my own personal instead of being turned into concentrate, turned into distillates. Right. Exactly. Um, What's uh, the reasoning behind that? Because. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> because, you know, uh, I, 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 had a, I had a vision outside earlier, right before I came in here. And, and it was, I, I saw cannabis becoming passe. I saw the fervor outside, one of the booths outside, for them throwing cartridges, you know? And... And I just kind of tried to think a little bit ahead into the future, you know, about what, what it might be like 10 years from now, you know. And I, th- I thought this weird thought. I thought that because cannabis is becoming so uh, commercialized that 10 years from now there's going to be people using cannabis for the first time that have zero appreciation for what it takes to grow a marijuana plant. And, we're, and so I'm afraid we're becoming... That, that what's going to happen is because we're removing the culture from 
and, and, and the culture from the appreciation of the smell of the plant and how many days was it grown and what nutrient did you grow it with and how many days did you cure it and we used to have these conversations when we smoked a joint as we were rolling the joint we would talk about the flower where it came from and we would give it some appreciation you don't do that when you're passing the vape pen and so I'm just you know and so so after 10 or 20 years of vape pens you know there's gonna be very few people left like you and I to sit around and and we're gonna be a very small club we're gonna be like the guys that drink brandy in smoking jackets in I these don't clubs. know I think there'll always be a market for craft quality you know small batch triple a quality how many years have I been saying flowers? That? How many years? And I believe that there'll too. always be a marketplace for that. But, there, but there has what to, I, and even if there isn't, people will be growing it for their own purposes, and it'll exist in the world. It's not going away. It's not going away. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't mean to intimate that that it would go away. I just said that it's going to be marginalized. And people's appreciation for it might might diminish. But and then what's going to happen is the people that have forgot have forsaken the flower are going to become bored with their vape pens. They're going to become bored because without the culture and without the discussion about the flower and without the appreciation of how great it makes you feel because you're smoking a whole live plant that has a medicinal value to it, they're going to become bored with that pen that they're sucking on. And after they've been marketed by Marlboro and whoever markets all the big vape pens with the big companies, they're going to give. They're going to move on to some designer drug. It comes out ten, fifteen years in the future, and 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 the people who are going to be left are the people like the people who appreciate growing flowers and the flower, and the people who want to teach others th those values. Yes, yes, yes. But the question was about harvesting. <laughs> Pinsky's not the only evangelist here. <laughs> <laughs> the question was I about get that out. the question was about harvesting because uh, again, it's a really important process. I asked you about wet dry, <laughs> wet trimming versus dry trimming. So that, that, that I, we got to we got to do some in. cultivation stuff here. <laughs> um, it's it's simple, and the reason the reason why I went off on that tangent was because I think that so much of the weed that's grown now is 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 going straight to distillate is going straight to pull all the terps out and put it back in and do all this monkey business with it and stuff. And they don't, it's not about the smokability of the finished product. And that's what you're alluding to. How do you achieve the best smokability for flowers? And that's becoming a minority subject. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming people are, you know, still interested in, in, that, in the subject matter <laughs> of how to grow it's their own high-quality flowers. You're in a lot of trouble if they're not. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. It, growing has changed, obviously, because of concentrate production. This is something that's, you know, we're joking a little bit, but the truth is, you know, a concentrate producer wants surface area and essential oil production. So these wispy strains are fine with them because their solvent can get right through the wispiness and strip off the essential oil. So much for DJ Short, who breeds plants. Why? For one reason only. Effect. Effect. Right. But that's still going to be happening. And, I mean, in the 90s, we were breeding and growing for indica, you know, bag appeal, thick, big weight. You know what I mean? Like, you know, that was the, the thing. You wanted, 
you know. You wanted to maximize that little ad yeah. that you were hiding in. Sure, sure. You know, it, there was a, a definitely an economic <laughs> aspect to that. You wanted high yield stuff, and you wanted it to, you know, weigh a lot. Um, and so that was the thing. But that that is undesirable to the concentrate maker because that's too thick and too dense, and there's too much chlorophyll and plant material there, and not enough surface area for the essential oil to be stripped off by the solvent. So so that's a good surface area is a good segue back into drying and curing, you know, and and trimming. And so for me, it's about uh, molesting the plant as little as possible until it's done. It's dry until it's dried properly because you can't cure a plant until unless you've dried it properly and cutting the plant and making hundreds of little wounds on the plant to allow it to dry unusually fast, to me, doesn't seem in any way the best way to get the best smokability. Dry trim. Dry trim. All right. Uh, and essentially, that just means you hang the plant to dry whole, right, pretty much if Preferably. you can. Preferably. Uh, let the moisture work its way out slow enough that you're not forcing that moisture out through all these cut leaves and, and stems and leaf stems in particular which are you know that's why you don't want to chop it up into pieces because every time you open the plant you open up a wound for it to uh dry out quicker so you know um, now what about curing we talked uh i you know we've talked about this so many times but what about uh curing do you believe in like a long you know months and months long cure or do you think you know two weeks it's ready to go um there are certain strains that uh, cure better, just like there are certain strains that hash better. Um, but I, I do believe that in the future, in the near future, there will be um, a market for weed that has been cured for longer periods of time. I think that kind of like the obligatory two-week cure, you know, is kind of like the average in the industry. You know, if you if you can't give yourself two weeks to cure your weed, then you're selling, you're slinging garbage. So the two-week cure is kind of the obligatory free cure. But then there's going to be people who are going to want to take it to a 30-day cure, a 60-day cure, a 90-day cure, and you can you can market it that way, you know, um, just like wine that gets more expensive as it gets older, you know, Cabernets specifically. Yeah, you want to? Should we do? Q&A? Yeah, I mean, well, people who have listened to Free Weed in the past know that we uh, we end our shows with a little Q and A. So if anyone from the audience has a question for Kyle about growing or his personal life, uh, you could ask it now. <laughs> Anybody? Did you, uh, did you ever play music He's asking if you play music while you're growing. Of course, music makes everything better, you know. Do the plants respond to it? I can't say for sure, but I know that I do and everybody that, that works in the garden does. Um, you know, uh, it does send vibrations into the air, and there have been studies about plants that grow near the ocean and that have more uh, the wind from the ocean and stimulation. And it's all about life, right? It's all about it's all about positive stimulation, right? I can say that on the radio. Well, it's also one of the reasons <laughs> you want to have fans in the grow room is to circulate air, and you know, not let a leaf just sit stagnantly because at the surface of the leaf is where the exchange is happening, and if you know that area is depleted qu- very quickly when the plant is still, it just ceases to grow. It's you know it's not transpiring. It's not doing the thing that it's supposed to be doing. 
because at leaf surface it's not being able to pick up circulation CO2 is key and turn it into you, you know, go into oxygen any and large facility indoor outdoor green even in greenhouses they have these massive fans just making sure that air is always blowing through them you know we didn't really touch on uh, pests and powdery mildew do you have a, a integrated pest management sort of philosophy and uh, do you have any advice for people about powdery mildew? You knew uh, it's not my uh, uh, specific wheelhouse. I try really, really hard and get frustrated when, when the pathogens come in. Um, uh, we're moving on from uh, uh, sulfur-based things now to... Um, <sighs> I just read about this the other day, and I'm not going to get it right. It's right on the tip of my tongue. I'm staring off into space trying to think of it. <laughs> um, I, uh, you know, uh, it, it's, all, it's all about beneficials, okay? Using a lot of uh, uh, the little predator mites and predator wasps and... Nematodes. Nematodes and... Um, uh, yeah, um, I, 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 unfortunately, that's not my, my, my best forte. Right. My uh, do we have any other questions? Yeah, any other questions from the crowd? A couple of experts here. Yes, you, sir. Asking for a friend. Uh, the question is, if you're growing your, your first plant just on a balcony, any tips for not screwing that up? Um... Get yourself a quality, uh, reputable nutrient and uh, follow the recipe chart and don't deviate a whole lot on your first grow. And um, make sure the plant gets a lot of f uh, full sun. You know, I think that's important. Uh, if it's shaded, it's not getting as much light as if it's got a light. If you need to move it around, yeah, cannabis um, is not going to be sun, really, you know, really happy in like partial sun. You know, it'll grow, but it, you're going to end up having to support it, and it really does like direct sunlight. Um, yeah, as much so, full sun as possible, as large of a container as possible. You don't want it in like a half gallon pot or something. You want it in at least a three to five gallon type of container. Depends on how big the plant is. Well, that's true, of course, but root-bound plants don't yield nearly as much as plants that really have, you know, room to spread roots. Uh, I think, you know, and you can also do some uh, pruning to keep it from getting too, you know, visible to neighbors and all of that. You're, you're absolutely right. I like large pots, but you, there is a sim syndrome that happens sometimes when you put too small a plant in too large a pot. It actually gets runtized. I've seen and, that. And uh, uh, because uh, you can't water enough to make it happy because its, root, it, its roots haven't proliferated the volume of the soil. So you, 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 you have to water more often than you need, and then you end up overfeeding. And uh, so... Uh, Everything is about cannabis growing is an amazing journey. It's about balance. It, it, it's weird when you learn that you can actually get less yield with more plants. You know, that you can, you can get less yield with more lights. For example, if you, if it get, because now you put more lights in, you didn't get enough of an air conditioner, so you can't cool it. It's about balance. And cannabis growing, that's, that's, it's, it's a really good endeavor to get into it just teaches you you can't rush or hurry 
the universe. You can't make the night come any quicker than it's going to come. And I think a lot of first timers and the reason, you know, getting back to the overfeeding thing, they just think more food, bigger plant. Right. And what you're not getting there is that there's a, there's a wheelhouse that you need to, to dial into and just try to stay within rather than always pushing it and getting going overboard. It's always easier to take away than it is. I mean, it's always easier to add more than it is to take away. So when you're overfeeding, you know, it's much, it's much easier if you're underfeeding to just, oh, it's going a little yellow. I'll add some, I'll boost the nutrient level and the plant will respond very quickly. If it's overfed and you've got burnt tips, now you have to flush your medium out and the plant goes through a whole shocked period where it has to rebound from the shock that you're putting it through rather than just a slight adjustment from being underfed to being properly fed. And so when it comes to feeding, you should let the plant show you that it needs some more. So almost all feeding charts come with a range, you know, whether it's light, medium, heavy, or it just gives you, for example, on my feeding chart, a range of three to five mils. Start off on the low and then as it shows a little yellowing on the bottom and it's not sustaining its growth, then you bump it up a couple of mils. You can always bump can, it up right. much easier than you can dial it down. And the advantage, to, the advantage to smaller pots is smaller pots are good because you get to water more often. So you get to see the reaction and you don't have to wait three, five, seven days until you can water again. You can water again day after tomorrow. And then you can make that little, oh, they're yellowing a little bit. I don't have to wait a week to water while half the plant yellows. So everything's about balance. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, last chance. Does anyone else have a question? I guess not. <laughs> everyone knows everything they need to know. Well, it is about balance. Um, That's why strawberry cough, of course. <laughs> I, I would say the same, to be honest. When it's really grown out properly, I mean, I have a lot of favorite strains, but it's up there. It's in the top five, if not top three. And, uh, you know, like we were saying earlier, it's just, uh, it's uplifting and it's inspirational and, and it really, it helps with creativity and, you know. I like I to know. say, you know, when, when, you have, when you have a pair of binoculars and you put them up to your eyes and you get to roll that wheel back and forth until the view is just perfect for you that's strawberry cough <laughs> that's great i love the smell that it leaves behind in the room you know like you leave and you come back into a room where you smoke, smoked it and it smells like church i've i've had a cop pull me over driving <laughs> strawberry cough and ask me if i was drinking he smelled <laughs> this stuff did not know that it was weed <laughs> yeah i love it um any questions from pinsky <laughs> Any questions from Pinsky? I have questions. Yes. yes. When did you guys first? Wow. When I started at High Times, uh, Kyle was already working there as a cultivation reporter, I believe, at the time. And I was, you know, answering the phone and breaking down boxes and playing for the softball team. You were a temp, basically. I was a, basically a temp yeah. when I first started. But but he was my second baseman. <laughs> yeah. And, and the bong hitters, that three years, we went 29-1. and one. We, we were one, one game away from a three-season undefeated. CNN sent a team out to cover it. And believe it or not, it was a six-inning softball game, and we lost one to nothing <laughs> against the Wall Street Journal. Our, our 
our fiercest rival. One to nothing from a 30 and 0 season. Three seasons. It was crazy. Yeah, and that must have been in the, in the late 90s. 99 I want, or 2000. I, I think I deserve a spot in the Bong Hitters Hall of Fame, personally. <laughs> when you left New York, was I think 2004? 99 you, to 04, yes, exactly. So you were in New York from 99 to 04. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it was interesting. When you left, you, you told me, basically, you can do this. Meaning, like, write about growing. You know how to grow. You know how to write. And... What's interesting is it, I hadn't even thought of it really at that time. Like, I mean, I was trying to write for the magazine, but my job was in products and, you know, like I was in a whole different division and I was, and I was just writing on the side. But we spent all day, you know, when you weren't answering the phones or breaking down boxes, talking about growing. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 I remember one, and, and I remember one day I got this bug in my head that I was going to leave and I told you. I just, I just told you you were one of the I first you were people. Crazy, to, by the way. <laughs> I'm going to leave a job I, at High Times, right? Why would you leave a job at High Times Magazine? I, I was like, to do what? To move yep. to the West? You're crazy. Yep. Uh, it and, worked out for you, for and, sure. And I immediately, I immediately looked at you and I said uh, something like, you know, you should take my job. Yeah, I did. It, something clicked in my head when you said it, where it made it realistic. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's your fault. It's basically, <laughs> this is what we're talking you about. You created a monster. Yeah. I, no, I created a great emissary of, emissary of cannabis uh, yeah. for the world. And An you, evangelist you, you, like, you, like Jason. You, you, you do a great job, man. And, and I'm always proud to see you uh, uh, representing the cannabis culture. All right, so welcome to The Wrap, you guys. This is where we wrap it up with Raw, right, Mike? We wrap it up with Raw. (laughs) That's right, Uh, as all my joints are wrapped with Raw. Um, And, yeah, thank you to BC Northern Lights. Thank you to Kyle Cushman. Thank you to DJ Jacques and Winstrong. Thank you to co-host and producer, the (laughs) long-suffering Mike G. (laughs) And uh, thank you to you guys, listeners. Um, Check us out on all the socials, uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, also, please, please, please do us a favor. Check out our Patreon page and our iTunes page. If you uh, would like me to follow you on uh, Instagram, uh, leave your Instagram name in your iTunes review of the show, uh, and I will uh, I'll follow you on Instagram or Twitter or whatever it is that you uh, you prefer. Um, but that's a great way to get the show into more listeners' ears. So to speak, yeah, and we, we actually we have some some big plans for Patreon as far as like extra content mm-hmm. that you don't normally get just on the show. So stay tuned for that, but definitely give that a look. Yeah, we got giveaways coming up too. Mm-hmm. I've got uh, a lot of cool stuff to give away from sponsors. So um, yeah, including a magical butter machine, uh, hopefully a BC Northern Lights uh, grow box at some point, like the roommate we're gonna give away. Um, so we've got a lot of cool stuff. Uh, maybe an Aryan bobblehead. Ha, never. <laughs> Must keep it. No, we, we're keeping our cannabis. Bobble, we're keeping our king of cannabis bobbleheads. But um, we do have lots of cool giveaways coming. So uh, episode ninety nine, uh, we're excited for a ninety nine more. You yeah, know? but next week, you know, uh, it's the one hundredth, so we're probably going to do something special for that. I'm not sure what it is yet, but we'll figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, thank you for listening. Put this one in the books. <laughs>